Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. President Biden has promised that his administration will restore ethics in government after years of President Trump dismissing many ethical concerns as political attacks. Biden promised that he will demonstrate, quote, that public servants serve all Americans, not themselves or narrow special interests. And in many ways, Biden has taken steps to come through on that promise. He said he will ban his own family from involvement in the government, that he'll disclose records of White House visitors, and that he'll support new legislation that would expand the definition of lobbying. But ethical concerns surrounding one particular family in Biden's orbit present a challenge to his vow to, as he puts it, restore faith in American government. That family is the Reschetti family. The Reschetti brothers have influence in Washington. Steve Reschetti is a senior counselor to Biden and one of the president's most trusted advisors. His brother, Jeff Reschetti, meanwhile, is a lobbyist with big-name clients that hope to influence Washington. Plus, three of Steve Reschetti's children work in the federal government. So do any actions of the Reschetti brothers violate White House ethics rules? How are the ethics rules decided and enforced, and do they go far enough? Plus, how much of the revolving door between the White House, lobby firms, and industry is just inevitable in Washington? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. My name is Michael Shear. I'm a national political reporter for The Washington Post. Michael has been covering the story of the Reschetti brothers for The Post. I asked him to start with the basics. Who is this Steve Reschetti guy? So Steve Reschetti is a longtime Democratic hand, both on the lobbying side in Washington and on the White House side. He served as a deputy chief of staff during the Clinton administration, remained close to Senator Biden and then Vice President Biden. And in 2012, came into the then Obama White House as a senior advisor to Vice President Biden. He was the chairman of Biden's campaign last year. And after Biden won, he came in as a senior counselor at the White House. He is, without a doubt, one of the three or four closest advisors to the president right now. But somewhere in his history, he also dabbled in lobbying as well. He did. So at the end of the Clinton years in the late 1990s, his brother Jeff was a lobbyist who was lobbying the Clinton White House while he was deputy chief of staff. And then after the Clinton administration ended, Jeff and Steve opened a lobbying firm together that was quite successful for the 2000s during the Bush administration. And that continued until about 2009. Steve Reschetti stopped registering himself as a lobbyist because the Obama administration at that time had a pretty strict rule about not allowing any lobbyists to work in the White House. And then in 2012, he left the firm 
that he'd worked at with his brother, but his brother continued as a lobbyist and continues to this day as a lobbyist. So given that Jeff Reschetti works as a lobbyist lobbying the administration and his brother, Steve, works in the administration, can you describe the big conflicts of interest that have arisen or the ones that have been brought to the attention of the White House ethics team? So this gets into legal technicality, and I think it's important to note here that there's a difference between what someone might think of as a conflict of interest and what the law and White House policy considers a conflict of interest. On the latter, what the White House counsel has said is that it is a conflict of interest if Jeff Reschetti is lobbying the executive office of the president on a specific party matter, and that's a technical legal term, for one of his companies. In those circumstances, the White House has asked Steve Reschetti to recuse himself from any discussion of those Issues. Now, a specific party matter under this definition is something that really only is affecting that particular company. So in this circumstance, Jeff Reschetti has four corporate clients. He lobbies the executive office of the president for or did last quarter, three pharmaceutical companies, one energy company that works on the Keystone XL pipeline. General pharmaceutical issues would not apply here. Steve Reschetti can still generally work on pharmaceutical issues. But if Jeff Reschetti was lobbying on a particular drug, for instance. Steve Reschetti recuses himself from those conversations. Now, that still leaves an enormous amount that both brothers can work on simultaneously, both because of the definition of what a specific party matter is and because in the first quarter, Jeff had 12 clients. Four of them were lobbying the White House. The other clients are often lobbying on legislation up on Capitol Hill that Steve Reschetti is also involved in, or Jeff Reschetti, the lobbyist, is lobbying the Commerce Department or the Treasury Department on something, and Steve Reschetti might be involved in those issues as well. And those are not considered technical conflicts of interest by the White House that require recusal. And so the most obvious example of this is that right now Jeff Reschetti is hired by General Motors to lobby on pushing for more federal funds for electric charging stations for the next generation of electric vehicles. The Biden administration has proposed $15 billion in funding. It's quite a lot of money in the infrastructure package. He is lobbying the Commerce Department, who has also been involved with Steve Reschetti in negotiations on Capitol Hill about this infrastructure bill. But because he's not lobbying the White House and because electric charging stations are something that apply industry-wide to the car industry and not specifically to General Motors, that has not triggered a technical finding of a conflict of interest. Even though Steve Reschetti is lobbying senators on behalf of the White House and his brother is lobbying members of Congress on behalf of GM. That's right. I think Steve would probably object to the... The word lobbying. Yes. You know, Steve is, Steve is involved deeply in the negotiations with Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill about what goes into this infrastructure bill. And at the same time, Jeff is lobbying possibly those same offices, definitely the House, the Senate, and the Commerce Department, according to his filings on those same issues. So it's interesting, as you've pointed out, there is this legal definition, and then there's what you have said are sort of what the American public might perceive as a conflict of interest. So how is perhaps a perceived conflict of interest, like the one you just outlined, how has that created potential problems for the Biden administration? Well, I think we'll have to see. You know, the Biden campaign was very clear and spoke in very broad terms about restoring ethics in Washington. He campaigned as someone who's going to turn the page on the Trump era. Among the many concerns of the Trump era was that lobbyists were just too deeply woven into the White House. There were other examples during the Trump years where the husband, for instance, of a White House official was lobbying the executive office of the president. That was seen as 
problematic. In practice, though, Biden's own voluntary rules have been a little more circumspect than the sort of broad claims that I will take care of all of these issues. For instance, he has said very clearly that none of his family members will be involved in lobbying or working with his government in any way. And he's basically put out a public statement that says his brothers and his son Hunter, you know, and other people in his family should not be contacting the White House, should not be involved. That voluntary step has not been extended to his senior staff. So you have circumstances like this. By that, you mean his senior staff can then have family members working in different agencies of the government. It's more about the senior staff can have people on the outside who are contacting his government. I mean, the ethics concern here is if I called the White House as Michael Shearer, they might take my call or may not take my call. But if my name is Michael Reschetti, they might want to take my call because they recognize that I'm related to their boss, more or less, whoever I'm calling. And so the concern is that someone would trade on the name or the relationship in a way that would give them more access. Or, I mean, what, what seems to be happening in the case of Jeff Reschetti, that companies on the outside would come to someone like Jeff Reschetti and say, hey, your brother is now the big cheese at the White House. We're going to pay you a significant amount of money. Jeff Reschetti in the first three months of the year billed more than $800,000 in lobbying fees from these 12 companies. That's quite a lot of money to make in three months. And it's five times what he made in the first three months of last year. So clearly, the fact that the Biden administration has come in has been very good for Jeff Reschetti's business. You know, during the Trump years, he was not in the business of lobbying the Trump administration. His lobbying work was relatively minor and it dealt with House and Senate. But now he's got an expanded business. And so that's the concern. It's the concern that came up during the Biden campaign where there was lots of reporting that showed over the course of Biden's career, members of his family had been involved working for industries that he regulated as a senator. In the case of his son, Hunter, he was put on the board of a Ukrainian energy company. He had some board experience, but it was rather odd timing, given that his father at that time was sort of leading foreign policy efforts from the Obama administration towards Ukraine. And he was paid quite a lot of money for that role. And that created an apparent conflict of interest, apparent look of impropriety, not a legal one. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. explained, Jeff Reschetti's business has grown a lot in the past few months, while his brother Steve serves in a senior role at the White House. But that, in and of itself, isn't an ethical violation. The lines here are murky with distinctions that are tricky to understand. So I decided to find a person to explain it to me, who knows quite a bit about White House ethics rules. My name is Richard Painter. I'm a law professor at the University of Minnesota. I was formerly the chief White House ethics lawyer and associate counsel to the president under President George W. Bush from 2005 to 2007. I was also formerly the vice chair of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, crew, in 2017 and 18. So it's safe to say you know a lot about ethics and the government. <laughs> so what exactly does an ethics lawyer for the president do? What does a typical day look like in that role? 
The chief White House ethics lawyer is responsible for dealing with the financial conflicts of interest from investments and also from uh, relationships with previous employers. For the White House staff and for every presidential appointee to the executive branch who is confirmed by the United States Senate, the chief White House ethics lawyer and his or her staff goes through the disclosure documents for presidential appointees, looking at investments and business relationships, and making sure that everyone who is appointed by the president complies with the federal ethics rules and statutes. So on one hand, it's to uphold the ethics that have been set forth by the government, but also to protect the president from facing any ethical conflicts. Absolutely. It is critical that the president of the United States be beyond reproach and that the people working for the president put the interests of the United States first and foremost in their minds and not have conflicts of interest involving family members, previous employers, or their own personal investments. I wanted Richard to help me understand exactly how the Reschetti family's actions fit into White House ethics rules. As our reporter Michael mentioned earlier, Steve Reschetti has recused himself from White House matters that involve a handful of companies paying Jeff Reschetti to lobby on their behalf. I asked Richard if a recusal like that is typical. Yes, this is a standard procedure when uh, senior White House staff or senior executive branch officials I have family members, uh, siblings or children or parents who are lobbying the United States government. First and foremost, the executive branch official should recuse uh, from any and all matters in which the family member is lobbying the United States government. Second, the agency uh, for which the uh, official works, or in this case the White House, should not entertain uh, lobbying overtures from a family member of the senior official. So this would mean, in Mr. Rashadi's case, that he would first and foremost recuse from all of these matters in which his brother is lobbying, work on other matters only. And second, when Jeff Rashadi lobbies into the executive office of the president on any matter, he very politely be told to communicate with other parts of the United States government, but not the president. So this puts up firewalls for the actual interactions between the Rashetti brothers and sort of between Jeff Rashetti's shop and what Steve is doing at the White House. But it doesn't really eliminate any potential conflicts of interest because, of course, clients of Jeff Rashetti know that his brother works in the White House, right? And of course, Steve Rashetti, who's still making decisions in the White House, knows the interests of his brother. Well, that's why it's so critically important that Steve Rashetti recuse from any and all matters uh, involving the clients of Jeff Rashadi. There are plenty of other matters in which he can advise President Biden, but he should stay away from those matters in which those clients have retained uh, Jeff for lobbying or for any other interactions with the United States government. Do we know if that's happening? How, how is this enforced? I have not seen the ethics agreement for Rashadi, and of course we have no idea uh, whether ethics agreements as written or enforced. During the Trump administration, we had a serious problem where a lot of ethics agreements as written were not enforced. I trust that the Biden administration will enforce the ethics agreements as they are written. But once again, it's critically important to go above and beyond what is literally required under the criminal conflict of interest statutes uh, and focus on what is ethical. How can President Biden, uh, with Steve Rashadi's advice and advice of other senior White House officials, best serve the American people free of any appearance of conflicts of interest? And that requires complete recusal from all those matters in which Jeff Rashadi, his brother, is representing clients, and also 
the executive office of the president simply cannot accept phone calls and other contacts from Jeff Rochetti or his firm. That would be inappropriate in these circumstances. Mm -hmm. So then if you had been advising President Biden in this scenario, would you have recommended that he not hire Steve Rochetti? No, I think that's just fine to hire Steve Rochetti. I'm not so sure that all the, all the kids also need to work in the administration. That's a separate <laughs> subject we can discuss. It's perfectly fine to hire someone whose who's brother is a lobbyist, but the firewalls need to be put in place. So it is very, very clear that the brother who's a lobbyist is not going to be lobbying the executive office of the president. Of course, he has a First Amendment uh, right to lobby whoever he wants, but he should be lobbying other parts of the United States government. So I do want to ask you about the children of the Rochettes and also other children of high-ranking officials in the administration who have been given sort of lower-level jobs at different agencies in the administration. Where are the ethical lines on that? Well, the federal anti-nepotism statute prohibits a United States government official from urging or encouraging, promoting the employment of a relative in any agency over which that official has jurisdiction or, or control. It is true that technically the president of the United States, under Article II of the Constitution, is the person who makes the ultimate decisions about how to run the agencies. But the senior White House staff has a critical role in that. So no senior White House official should ever encourage or promote the employment of a relative in any of the executive branch agencies. And I trust that Steve Rochetti did not do that and can represent to the United States Congress. He did not do so. So we can move on. Of course, I'm sure to many of our listeners, the question is raised about the Trump administration and President Trump's hiring of his daughter and son-in-law and others um, into the White House. So why is that different than what you just mentioned now in terms of anti-nepotism laws? Unfortunately, the Office of Legal Counsel concluded that the anti-nepotism statute does not apply to decisions made by the President of the United States about the White House staff. I disagree with that determination, but that was the exception that was used to hire Jared and Ivanka and it turned out to be absolutely disastrous for the American people. Uh, Jared Kushner was put in charge not only of the Middle East, which he did nothing to alleviate, but with COVID-19. That matter was terribly handled by Mr. Kushner. And that's an example of what happens when unqualified family members are brought into positions in the United States government, given significant responsibility for important matters, and then they bumble it. So we just talked about Trump, but generally speaking, how does Biden stack up against modern presidents in terms of hiring people who have potential conflicts of interests in his administration or hiring people with ties to lobbyists or other industries into these positions in the administration? Well, uh, the Biden administration in the, the conflicts of interests and ethics arena is a 1000 percent improvement over the Trump administration. But the problem is the baseline is quite low. So uh, comparing Biden to Trump is not the appropriate measure. President Biden should adhere to the highest standards of ethics. I believe he wants to in his administration. And for the most part, uh, there's been compliance with the ethics rules, and I'm confident that the uh, Biden administration will do the right thing. But I'm urging that in this matter and other matters, the administration go above and beyond to be transparent and to avoid conflicts of interest. The Biden administration has vowed to just return to ethics in the White House post-Trump. They've made a lot of promises about sort of overhauling ethics in the White House. Have you seen those actions actually come to fruition? Are there things they've promised that they haven't come through on? 
Well, the Biden administration has done quite well at this very early point in time. I certainly wish that um, we could pass through Congress uh, the provisions of H.R. 1 that address the strengthening of the Office of Government Ethics and Financial Conflicts of Interest, and not only for executive branch officials, but for members of Congress. We need to get members of Congress out of stocks stop stock trading and focusing on doing their job. There's a lot of work to be done, but uh, the Biden administration in terms of self-policing has done quite well. Uh, we've had a few slip-ups, but it's really been a quite impressive record overall on ethics. And that's not just compared with the Trump administration, but quite strong on ethics compared with other administrations that at least made an effort in the ethics arena. So then to that point, my last question to you is, under the Trump administration, we covered it a lot on this show, how there were some ethical violations, there were some pushing up against the precedent that had existed around ethics in the White House. And, you know, as you've said, Biden has come in and he's made some improvements to kind of undo some of the new precedents that were established under President Trump. As we look forward, do we expect that things will continue on a trajectory of more adherence to ethical rules? Or do you imagine that President Trump sort of set in motion this option for presidents to really push up as far as they possibly can against these ethical guidelines? President Trump set some very, very dangerous uh, precedents uh, with respect to financial conflicts of interest uh, for presidents and also abuse of executive power. His Justice Department was entirely in the service of his political campaign. President Biden needs to repudiate that. He also needs to repudiate the model of extreme presidential power adhered to by President Trump and President Nixon a number of decades ago. We need this Justice Department and the rest of the Biden administration to move toward a government of transparency and accountability. A government of transparency and accountability, though, is really quite a tall order. Washington has had a revolving door of people who move between government agencies, industry, and lobbying for a very long time. And that's unlikely to change, at least anytime soon. So how does the White House decide where to draw the ethical lines? Is there a path to limit that revolving door? I went back to reporter Michael Shearer one more time for his insight. I don't think it's a switch you can toggle on and off completely, just because a lot of what happens in government is so specialized that when those people are not in government, they end up working, helping outsiders access government. And and then when a new administration comes in, whether it's a Democratic or Republican administration, they need somebody who understands how the Environmental Protection Agency works or how you do regulations of pharmaceutical drugs. And they're very specialized fields. And if you made a blanket statement that no one who had ever worked for a pharmaceutical company could help HHS regulate or FDA regulate pharmaceutical drugs, you would really limit the number of people who could work in government, the expertise of government. So there's not a really a proposal to ban it completely. I think the debate here is over gradations, over how far you go. Biden has put forward an executive order that has, as another example, certain barriers about once you leave government, whether you can contact your former colleagues for a private company, how long you have to wait before you can do that. And there's also revolving door rules about going into government that limit your ability to deal with issues that your former company had. In the case, interestingly, of Steve and Jeff Reschetti, because Steve Reschetti left his company in 2012, which is more than the two-year window prescribed in the executive order, he is not forced to recuse from all matters that that company, Reschetti Incorporated, the lobbying firm, is working on. I, I could 
easily find you two or three lawyers or ethicists or good government people who should say that two years isn't enough, but the White House has drawn the line where it's drawn the line. All right, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. hope you enjoyed this episode of Can He Do That? and that you keep enjoying this podcast. If you'd like to support the reporting behind it, I'd like to ask you to consider a subscription to The Washington Post. A subscription gets you unlimited access to everything we publish, from breaking news to baking tips. It also directly supports this show and the work of Washington Post journalists around the world who are working hard to uncover the next big story. Podcast listeners can get this exclusive deal. It's one year of unlimited access to The Post for just $29. That's less than $1 a week. Learn more and subscribe at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. That's WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe, or click the link in our show notes. I hope you'll consider it. And one last thing, I promise. I just wanted to let you know about a new show that I really think you'll enjoy. The Washington Post's opinions page has a new podcast called Please Go On. It's hosted by columnist James Homan. You might remember him if you listened to the Daily 202's Big Idea podcast. On this show, every Friday, James interviews someone who's written an insightful or an important op-ed for The Post. This week, in an episode that comes out on Friday, James talks to Katie Hobbs, Arizona's Secretary of State, who's running for governor in 2022. I really think you'll like this episode and that you'll love Please Go On, so I'd really recommend you check it out. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Again, it's called Please Go On. Thanks. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.